coming. That's all. No. <laughs> Forth to carry me home. Ooh, yeah. I love that song. I that's my warm up song when I'm in the booth, like to get my vocals going. Oh yeah, because I, I sing a real low <laughs> and then I bring it up. What's better than what's that other warm up song that most people do? It's the do re, do re mi ma fo so something like that. <laughs> Mofo. <laughs> do re think, mi ma fo ho mo so low. I, I don't think that's it, Josh. There's something. I don't think when we were in elementary school, I had to learn that phrase. That homo. I don't know, Miss Brackett could have. <laughs> Mofo was in. No homo mofo. (laughs) They probably did teach us that. No homo. (laughs) It didn't. Mofo. That lesson didn't stick with me very well. (laughs) Josh missed that part of our elementary school education. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I really wanted to be in choir so much as a little kid just because I thought Mrs. Brackett, the music teacher, she was German and she was just fabulous. She always wore like sequins, cardigans, and like just her little black bowl cut. Yes, please. Well, you know, I was in special choir and... Me too, bitch. Right. (laughs) And she would talk about how she was in World War II. Yes. And she was a little child and her parents hit her when the Nazis had invaded her country. And when the Americans came in to rescue the people from her country i don't remember what country she said that she was from maybe poland her parents just like offered her to the soldiers and asked them to take her to america oh heavens yeah so i never that's, dug that's what she said dug in that deep with her <laughs> yeah that's again i was a little me. kid though yeah whether or not that's accurate <laughs> i don't know maybe that's just what she told people here but. take her yeah, but she did have a pretty thick accent, but she was always so nice. Oh, yeah. Yes. I was a little bitter. There was one other kid in my class, and we both had very high voices, but he was a little tiny, cute little thing, and I was a big old chubby gay kid. <laughs> <laughs> so he always got like the lead in mm. all the things, even though my voice went higher and I could hold it longer, but I ain't bitter. And just suddenly one day he got pushed off the bleachers. We don't know what happened. He was one of the kids we rode around the graveyard <laughs> on our bicycles. I ain't going to call his name because he's always such a sweet oh, I kid. Remember him. And I also remember, do you remember the time, Josh, we were at the graveyard? Boy, our childhood just sounds so <laughs> so enthralling, doesn't it? When we was hanging out at the graveyard we were by children, the creek. Yeah, we were hanging out at the graveyard. And you guys saw what looked like a little boat. Now I believe that it was like something they used to like mix up cement. It was a cement, cement mixer. Yeah. yeah, I think about this often actually. Yeah. And you and the, I think it was the other kid. You guys both got into it to go into the middle of the pond. No, I did not. Him and the two boys we were with got mm. in it, but you and I were like, "Uh, that no, doesn't look safe. We're gonna get in trouble." Yeah. And they got in it, and it our sank. grandma will whoop our butts. Well, it sank all the way down to the yeah, because they got in it and they thought that it would float, and it got and as soon as they pushed off the edge it started sinking and one of them was able to like jump ashore yeah and he left the other one (laughs) just yeah way out in the water and i remember him like having to swim back up to the shore well you and i left after that too because we're like nope someone's Mm -hmm. gonna get in trouble for this not us we're not gonna get a whooping from this we were just down here visiting papa singing hymnals (laughs) (laughs) praising jesus (laughs) bless him (laughs) yeah i remember that and i think about it a lot because you know, now that I'm an adult, I've always been a little germaphobe, but I think like 
we were literally playing in a little like drainage runoff in the middle right. of a cemetery. So all the stuff from all the graves and it, okay. just all everything in the dirt. We were just down there playing, catching crawfish. Right. Yeah. For those of you who are here with us, Josh and I, you know, we were raised at our grandma's house and she lives in between, like to get to her road, you have to go in between two huge graveyards. So naturally we would walk down to the graveyard and hang around all the graves. Well, we could ride our bikes to the graveyard, but the park was across another street and Mm -hmm. that was like past our boundary of where we could go. So we hung out. It sounds creepy, but it was very, you know, they're manicured and trails to ride your bikes. Yeah. It was was a safe place. No one bothered us. Right. I like to visit the kids and the little like child burial area. I used to bring them like little toys and Mm -hmm. I just felt bad. They didn't get to live a life. So I'd bring them little toys and I just visited them. I like to make sure they felt included. There we go. And then now we have just a morbid fascination. Right. And we wonder where it came from. We're very comfortable with death. <laughs> well, shoot, our first experience with death was so like, it just kind of threw us in the middle of it. Like, here you go. This right. is life. <laughs> right. All right, Josh, are you ready for our topics? I am. I've got a good one. I've had it done for a little over a week now, and I've been itching to mm. talk about it. It's horrible, but I mean, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, absolutely a very, horrible. it's a very rough topic, but you know, oh my God. I wrote it. I wanted to tell you about it. <laughs> Do you want to go first then? I will. Yeah, itching? I will. I'm itching and there's no ointment for it. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Amazing grace. <laughs> Well, I know you don't enjoy them as much as I do, but as I have said many a time before, I love some post-apocalyptic entertainment. I like to see how others imagine the worst of humanity when things hit the fan. Especially after living through the pandemic, we all kind of have a taste of just how selfish and horrible humanity can be, especially when resources start to diminish. Before I go any deeper into my story, I did want to thank everyone for listening and joining us here on Mystery Inc. and Behind the Mask on Patreon. We do love reading your reviews, but I came across one that I found Mm. particularly good. They left us a one star and called us boring and said that we need to talk less Mm -hmm. never gonna happen dead to me drink some coffee and they don't know maybe talk about cats i'm allergic (laughs) literally allergic well thank you for your honesty we won't be doing any of your suggestions besides the coffee i do hope you find a fast-paced podcast about cats (laughs) oh and honey this is the whole point i wanted to do this Oh, and honey, if you want me to talk about my kitty cat, you have to pay extra. (laughs) She's a Midwestern hairless, and watch out. She's in heat. (laughs) (laughs) I thought of that joke driving, and I was like, I got to find a way to include this in the episode. That's a funny joke. Back to the mystery today. If you thought hoarding toilet paper was bad during the pandemic, the people who were imprisoned on Nizinsky Island... That would have been a day at the park. Instead of guarding their hoard of two-ply, they were guarding their appendages while they slept. 
No, I'm not talking about the fear that someone would try and play with their flesh flute. The prisoners on the island were so starved that if anyone was sick or dying, they were preyed upon by the others. That reminds me. A couple days ago, Josh, I heard this new term. And <laughs> I didn't immediately know what they were talking about. And I wanted to know if you knew what this means. Long pig? No. <laughs> it's called pocket pool. Were you jerk off in your yeah with your hand in your that. pocket? I didn't know what that was. Oh, of course Someone I know. Someone was what, like, I mean, I don't oh, do it. But they're playing pocket pool, and I'm like, pocket pool. What the crap is that? Is that I'm a just, new app? <laughs> I'm like, what the crap? And they're like, you know, there's like a hole in their pocket, and I was like, but then you'd lose all your coins, <laughs> or your phone would get dropped. And then as I'm driving home, I'm thinking, pocket pool. What would that? And then I was like, <gasps> disgusting. <laughs> My brother is just oh, such a disgusting. pure soul. He got all the good and I got all the... And you know run. he didn't wash his hands. Ugh. I, for one, have never played pocket pool. I am a, you know... I even like a regular pool. <laughs> I do love pool, but pocket pool and what I think when I think of pocket pool is, are you getting a hole in one or what's going on down there? <laughs> wash your hands. Shane, bless your heart, didn't know what pocket pool was. Now, just a little way I view the world is a lot of men, I meet them at bulge value first before I look into their face. You can tell a lot about a man by his waist down. And I've seen people do that before. Generally, like the homeless or walking around Chicago, I'd see a few men sleeping under a bridge, playing the pool, bless their hearts. Mm. Where were you when that was brought up? <laughs> Uh, at home <laughs> <laughs> no i was with a few friends but i don't remember i think i might have been in fort wayne okay yeah playing pocket pool that's yeah. a fetish of some people they like to go sit in public and no there's just a random guy walking around the street i don't remember who it was or anything it was just a random dude he was acting really odd just walking around and they're like oh i bet he's playing pocket pool and everyone mm. else in the car knew what the person meant but i didn't I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's one of those moments where you pretend like you know what they're talking about and oh, yeah. you just wait. It's like when someone says a joke that you don't get, but you laugh anyway, and you're like, I'll just go ahead and laugh and wait until I get it. <laughs> I do that a lot when people talk about their kids. Like, oh, yeah, that's oh, yeah, so interesting. Oh, bless them. Okay, Josh, go ahead. Right. Back to non-pocket. <laughs> back, back to cannibals. <laughs> The Isle of Nizinski is located in Siberia, which, if you don't know, is one of the coldest livable climates on Earth, with an average daily temperature of only 5 degrees. The climate is predominantly frosty cold, and in the winter months, the mercury does not even reach the positive range. The small island was in the 1930s used as a prison camp slash social experiment during Joseph Stalin's reign as Supreme Dictator. Stalin was the leader of the USSR, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, and he was in charge from 1929 to 1953, and he transformed Russia's peasant society into an industrial military superpower. He was definitely a horrendous leader who ruled by fear and terrorized his people. Millions of his own citizens were murdered or died from exposure or starvation during his reign. A direct quote from Joseph is, 
The death of one man is a tragedy. The death of millions is a statistic. Just to give you a glimpse into his twisted thought patterns. I'm going to put in the southern phrase of the day, and it is, He was as crooked as a hound dog's hind legs and twice as dirty. (laughs) (laughs) The unfortunate souls who were trapped on Hazinski Island would have to endure some of the most barbaric human conditions in recorded history. The whole thing was a poorly concocted plan by Stalin in an attempt to settle the remote reaches of Siberia and Soviet Kazakhstan. I can't believe I'm just blasting through some of these names like it ain't nothing. I'm so pleased with myself. (laughs) The idea was that the settlers would bring millions of acres of land into cultivation and develop self-sufficient communities within two years. In part... The plan was aimed at covering up the ongoing famine in Ukraine and other parts of the country. To generate settlers, the government reinstated the hated system of domestic passports that had been banned after the 1917 Bolshevik coup. Under the new laws, anyone who was found outside of their registered district would be arrested There are records of a 103-year-old man who was arrested for getting some fresh air just outside of his home. Children only a few years old would be arrested if found away from their parents. Even a pregnant woman was arrested for not having a passport. All the while, she had it clutched in her hands. Hmm. People were disappearing all over the country and families were helpless to find them. If they went to the police to report them, then they were risking being taken as well. Just imagine your child, spouse, parent, or anyone you love disappearing one day like that, and you weren't even allowed to try and find them. Sadly, that was the reality for millions of people under the rule of Stalin. One account from a prisoner on the island said that he was a student in Moscow. He simply went to visit his aunt, who also lived in Moscow, for the weekend. But before he could even enter his aunt's apartment, he was arrested for simply not having his passport on him. That'd be like us just going to the next city over Huntington to Mm. go eat or something. And, oh, you're from a different town. Arrested. Mm. Sent to a prison camp. Vera Panavoya, a resident of the village of Ustchaima, recalled meeting a man named Kuzma Salvinkov, who had been on Cannibal Island. He was a miner who was married with two children. Once he went to Novosibirsk and stopped at the central market. Panavoya recalled, at that moment they surrounded the market, set up a net, and arrested everyone who wasn't carrying documents. Everyone, including women and children, were loaded into a barge and sent to Nizinsky Island. He never saw his wife or children again. The first prisoners of Nizinsky Island began being barged to the island in May of 1933. They used lumber barges to transfer the first 3,000 people to the island with orders to construct a special settlement as their little corner of Stalin's gulag which were a network of labor camps that spread across the Soviet unions where millions of people were repressed and killed. 
they were expected to build these little communities, but they were giving no they were given no tools, shelter, and only measly pieces of moldy bread and told to start a thriving working community. Oh, and if you tried to escape the island, you would either be shot or the icy cold water of the Ob River will kill you. At first, there were some promising possibilities compared to the atrocity that did occur. But the small island quickly became too overpopulated and underfed for any type of prosperity to take place. By July, there were 6,000 prisoners on the 600-meter-wide island. That's about a nine-minute walk at normal speed, just to give you an idea of how small it was. And there were 6,000 people on it. <laughs> Ooh. Things quickly began to unravel on Nizinsky as more and more people were transported. The only food given to prisoners was from the abusive guards who took pleasure and watching people fighting over the scraps of bread they would throw from their boats while on patrol. Eventually, they stopped giving them bread altogether and would only give them just straight-up flour to survive on. It wasn't rationed per person either, only dumped on the ground. The more powerful and ruthless prisoners, who have all formed gangs at this point, would hoard the flour and give it out as they saw fit. Even if you were one of the lucky few to have gotten some flour, the only options you had was to either mix it with the filthy water and attempt to make some form of nourishment. Some would even eat the flour as is and would die of suffocation from doing it, which I did not even know was possible. But I mean, think of how fine that is and you breathe it in, going right into the... I knew drag queens and clowns get clown lung, but I never heard a flower lung. Didn't you ever try the cinnamon challenge? Hell no, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm one of those, when I see a whole bunch of people on the internet doing it, I'm like, mm, I'm Natural definitely selection. not going to do Yes. Mm, I didn't do it either. I did watch someone do it. But you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Oh, see? yeah, yeah. I saw- Where you try to eat like a tablespoon or a teaspoon of cinnamon? Yeah, which, ow, that burns. I don't Well, <laughs> no, 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 no. It doesn't burn, but you don't have enough moisture in your mouth. Your body won't let you. Yeah, so it just like takes all the moisture in your mouth so you can't swallow it. So you have to just like spit it out. Oh, well, these people imagine them being so hungry that you try to do that with flour ugh, and then end up suffocating to death. Mm-mm. No, I see people putting cinnamon in their mouth and snorting condoms and Tide Pod. God, ugh, natural selection. Ugh. That's breeder problems right there. I don't have kids. I don't have to worry about. I know my butt is not going to do anything dumb. See, that's one thing I find so stressful about thinking about being a parent is you're just living your life. Then all of a sudden you have this being that you have to take care of. And at any point, they're so delicate. Anything could take them out. And then, bam, you're a murderer. Oh, right. sorry, your kid got, you know, your kid ate a Tide Pod, and now you're going to prison forever for a mistake. Or if you're going to a store, I think about this anytime I go to a store that has a bunch of glass or something, you have to, like, make sure, because I always have to make sure that I don't hit anything on the aisle. If I had a little kid with me, I think I would just be overly cautious to make sure that they are also not touching stuff. Now you understand you know? why mom gave us NyQuil. <laughs> <laughs> Here we're going to the store. Let's take your medicine. <laughs> we have we have a normal childhood, everyone. We promise. <laughs> we had graveyards and <laughs> we, <Nyqu> <laughs> very happy childhood. 
Very normal. Very normal. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, help us. Take yeah. your Benadryl. That <laughs> was only at Christmas. Mm-hmm. No, we would wake up real early, though. Well, many prisoners died from disease from the water, and that's if the freezing temperatures, murderous prisoners, or guards didn't get them first. The island of Nizinsky is a low-lying swampland some three kilometers long and barely 600 meters wide. There was no shelter, only trees. The guards expected the settlers to cut down and build huts. Unfortunately, again, they were given no tools to do that. Kind of hard to cut down a tree with your bare hands. And now here they were, standing on a blanket of snow as night set in, with no way of getting lumber or to build a shelter. Left with no choice, the prisoners on Nizinsky Island began to sleep out in the open snow. Things took a turn for the worse once people began to starve. The healthiest of the prisoners began to harvest the sick and dying ones. At first, it began as eating the newly dead bodies, but soon it turned out into an all-out cannibalistic frenzy. Some prisoners only did it as a means of survival, but others seemed to enjoy their newly lost humanity. There are reports that women would be tied to trees as men cut away their breasts and other pieces of their flesh to cook and eat it in front of them. Women, children, no one was safe from the criminal gangs that were running the island. Soviet documents preserved in the Gulag system in Tomsk recorded the interrogations of some of these criminals who were at Nizinsky Island. One was asked if he ate human meat. His response was, no, that is not true. I only ate the livers and hearts. When asked for details, he said, it was very simple. Just like shashlik, we made skewers from willow branches, cut it into pieces, stuck it on the skewers, and roasted it over the fire. I picked those who were not quite living, but not quite dead. It was obvious that they were about to go, that in a day or two they'd give up. So, it was easier for them that way. Now, quickly, without suffering for another day or three. Nizinsky Island was only used for one summer, but during that time, over 4,000 people died from the conditions there. Some were criminals, but most were just unfortunate people who happened to forget a passport or, heaven forbid, travel to a neighboring town. The fortunate ones would die in their sleep soon after arriving on the island. Others would either lose their humanity or lose pieces of their own body. Another survivor from the island was rescued with both of her legs still attached, but... They had been completely cleaned off of all their meat. She had been tied up with her legs butchered, cooked, and eaten directly in front of her. Once officials were aware of the horrible conditions on Nizinsky Island, the surviving prisoners were taken to other camps, and everything was quickly covered up. Of course, Stalin did not want word of his incompetent failure to come to light. Today... Nizinsky Island is still rarely visited, 
aside from a yearly memorial at a cross that was placed in remembrance of the people who died there in the 90s. Occasionally, the small island will flood, and that will hinder the memorial for that year. The mysteries of Nizinsky Island will live on forever. The energies of those who perished there may still remain, possibly searching for their loved ones or still even confused as why they were even there in the first place. I will leave you with one question. How long do you think your humanity would have lasted if you were imprisoned on Nizinsky Island? Dun, dun, dun. The dang Minion movie. I can't say anything suspenseful without hearing a Minion in my head. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Is that in the new one? It's in some of them. I've only seen like two. Mm. They were cute at first, but now I'm like, okay, that's, it's just a little banana. I ain't watching a movie about a singing banana in a G-string. Right. Like I'm like, what's going on here? There's a banana and a G-string, and this is a kid's movie? Ah, oh, clutch my pearls. Josh will be at the next one when they release it. <laughs> I do see a I'm lot of myself. I'm not watching that. He'll be at the next one. Dressed like? Grow or what's it? Uh, grew. I can't even grew, I think. Right. Okay, Josh. So, for my topic, do you know who Lady Wonder is? No, but it sounds like a superhero. It does. Or drag name. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lady Wonder gained national fame in the 1920s and 30s. Lady Wonder was a horse who could do math. Oh. Tell time and was psychic. At first, I did not think you were going to say horse when your lady wonder was a horse. <laughs> a horse. A horse. But was lady wonder a gifted psychic horse or was this all a well-practiced con? Ooh. You might be wondering how she could communicate with the estimated 150,000 people Good who visited her. Well, she would use a device that would help her spell out her answers. I'll explain that in a little more detail. Like the little buttons the cats and dogs use nowadays to talk to you. Yeah, sort of. To get an idea of how Lady got to the point of national fame, we should start at the very beginning of her life. But there is a caveat. Her history is provided by her owner. And if this all was just one well-practiced con... Well, then this story would be part of it. Ooh. Go on. (laughs) Lady Wander was born in 1924 in the Richmond, Virginia area. The Fonda family bought her when she was only weeks old and gave her the name Lady. They originally bought her to be a plow horse, but they started to notice that when they wanted her to do things, they wouldn't have to make it known. Like when they wanted her to come... She would just show up. Miss Fonda became quite impressed with Lady's ability to perceive and started trying to use children's blocks to try to teach her the alphabet so they could communicate with her. Hmm. I would want a sign language, but that's one way. <laughs> <laughs> How would the horse sign? Oh, it I guess. A, well, I mean, I would have. I Never mind. I would have used the blocks. <laughs> <No. laughs> we didn't have... The ability, we didn't have a whole lot of horses. Listen, I grew up cute. I did not grow up smart. (laughs) (laughs) Once Lady learned the numbers and letters, 
Miss Fonda created a sort of typewriter that had letters and keys. Lady could use her nose to hit padded keys, which lifted letters or numbers painted on rectangular pieces of tin. Suddenly, Lady was able to communicate by spelling out words or numbers to answer questions. Friends and neighbors started to visit Lady to ask questions, and soon her reputation spread. Many of the questions reportedly being asked were answers Lady couldn't have known, which started spreading a reputation that she was psychic. By 1928, people started calling her Lady Wonder, and you could pay up to $1 to ask three questions. It's estimated over her lifetime that she was visited by more than 150,000 people. What's so crazy about Lady Wonder is how mixed the reports are about her accuracy. Sometimes she was very right, and sometimes she was wrong. You get a 50-50 chance when you're (laughs) guessing. (laughs) Flipping a coin. In December 1952, a mother asked Lady about her six-year-old son, who had been missing for more than two months. Lady responded that he was alive but hurt and could be found in Kansas. A year later, the child's skull was found near his school. So in that case, Lady was wrong. Real wrong. Right? Lady was well known for predicting the outcome of a 1927 boxing match. She was well known for predicting earthquakes and for shifts in the stock market. Okay, wait. People asking a horse for financial advice on the stock market. And people would ask lady for horse races. You know what, people? My foot is real good at telling people (laughs) financial advice. So if y'all want to pay me, my left or right foot will Mm -hmm. give you whatever answer you think you want. (laughs) I got a dollar, I got a talent. Right. In December 1952, two children went missing in Naperville, Illinois. Their mother went to Lady, and Lady predicted that the boys would be found in the nearby DuPage River, which was a river close to the boys' home. Several weeks later, the bodies of both boys were found exactly there. Professional and skeptics also have mixed reviews on what was going on. In the summer of 1953, a skeptic went to investigate Lady's talents. Edward Stabe was a professional horse trainer. His findings ended up being that he was not conclusive. So he said that he couldn't find one way or the other. So he couldn't find proof that this was all a con, which I think in my mind, that's kind of, if you can't find proof that this was a con, it seems like you cited more of it's not a con. Right. You believe it in some way. Yeah. Cause he was a skeptic trying to go prove it to be a con but he said it was not conclusive so that I don't know. I don't trust these people at this time. They're at a hundred thousand people asking horse questions like, right. You don't have enough of your own thought to that where you're like, boy, I just can't figure this out. I got to go ask this horse. horse. In 1927, three experts visited the horse to challenge lady. One took a coin from his pocket and looked at the date. No one else present could see the face of the coin. He then asked Lady for the date, and she correctly responded with 1914. 
Another man adjusted the time on a clock, being sure no one else in the shed could see what time it showed. Lady gave the exact clock's time. After the tests, the three experts agreed that there was no trickery and the horse's abilities were real. In December 1928, two scientists from Duke University visited Lady. One of them was Dr. J.B. Ryan, who was a leader in the field of psychic research at the time. After a week of testing, which at times involved blindfolding all eyes present, including the horses, they were convinced of Lady's abilities. He conducted an estimated 500 tests during that time. He did note later that Miss Fonda always insisted on standing nearby as Lady is questioned during that time. But the scientists said that there was no communication between them. Now, curious enough, later, Rhyme would alter his assessment, saying that he sometimes had detected subtle signals from Miss Fonda that the horse may have responded to, although he could never explain how the horse was able to give correct responses to things that Fonda could not have known. A well-known New York psychiatrist came to challenge Lady's abilities. Dr. Thomas Garrett had exposed several fortune tellers, in fact, up to this point. But Dr. Garrett would walk away a believer. Or should I say? (laughs) (laughs) Paul Duke, who was then a correspondent for the Associated Press and then host of the PBS public affairs show, Washington Week in Review, went to go visit Lady. Duke said he was flabbergasted when Lady correctly pecked out his name, the college he attended, and the exact dollars and cents of his weekly paycheck. That's a little personal. Yeah. I want a horse to know all this about me. (laughs) (laughs) To make things more difficult, it was said that Miss Fonda would rearrange the letters before each reading on the typewriter. Hmm. In the 1990s, a former neighbor of the Fondas said that they believed Miss Fonda was the real psychic of the team and communicated through the horse by telepathy. Genuine or fake, the neighbor said the performance was mystifying. Lady Wonder died in 1957, three years after the date she had predicted. She was 33. She's buried at Pet Memorial Park in Richmond, Virginia. Aww. And Miss Fonda died two years later. Well, at least they didn't make her into glue. The horse, not Miss Fonda. <laughs> right. I think what's so fascinating, though, is 150,000 people went and saw her, and people who are... People just desperate for answers. That and the swindulum swings wide. So there are people who are skeptically skeptic. So they go there with a sole intent of proving it to be all a hoax. Right. But then there are also people who will be going there wanting to believe it so much that they're going to believe it regardless. Oh, yeah. So either way, I think that kind of those accounts have to, at least in my opinion, have to kind of be a little discounted in some way. You kind of need an unbiased opinion. But, I mean, 150,000 times of if Miss Fonda is creating the scenario where she is motioning the horse to push these little tiles 
Now I've I that's looked, a lot of training. Like, it is, and I looked at the little typewriter. I mean, we're talking. It is like one foot wide and six feet long. Big enough for a horse's nose to. Yeah. So the little tiles that the horse has to push are like maybe one inch big and they are about an inch apart. So she would have to be barely signaling this horse for no one else well, to you said he, note. She note would it. switch the tiles too. So yeah. like. Yes. And she'd have to be right there to be able to see where, well, you know, either she has a photographic memory where she can know exactly where each one is each time. But even then, I mean, the horse, to be able to get all the words accurately right. and make sure the horse responds to the exact, I mean. You wouldn't be able to are, train a horse to know that many words. Like, right. And they're only an inch apart is my thing. Like if she's barely signaling this horse and the horse isn't looking directly at her, there was a quote that I found from some people who were talking about what the horse would do during this thing. They would talk about the horse almost being in a sleep-like state where the horse would look down and start tapping away. So it's not like the horse is looking over at her or anything like that. Right. So if she's making these barely subtle moves, as these skeptics are saying, I still find it really like, it would have to be a really good con. I would be a believer. I mean, you know, I was and still am a horse gay, especially growing up. (laughs) We had horses for a little while. We had a pony and I had my Barbie horses and whatnot. So... I believe horses are very tuned in to energies and emotions. I mean, right. anybody that's been around them knows they're better than our own cats and dogs at being able to tell our emotions. So right. I could definitely see out of any animal, a horse being in tuned with, I don't know, the Akashic records yeah. or some kind of force that we can't tune into. Yeah. I think what just fascinated me, a lot of times she was right. There were some times where she was wrong. The horse was wrong. But even when they're wrong, I still, that doesn't make me a non-believer because sure. my thought is, well, then they just, they weren't meant to know that, you know? Yeah. Sometimes when we go to ask questions of things and people who are spiritually inclined Sometimes you will get a wrong answer because your guides or whatever you believe in doesn't, you just aren't meant to know everything. Mm -hmm. It would hinder you more than help you. Yeah. I find this topic very fascinating, especially because the big skeptics back then were so ready to disprove it. Yeah. And their theory was, oh, well, it had to be her bare. And, you know, they were in the room trying to find this way that that this lady was motioning this horse to get the horse to click these letters. And the best I could come up with was somehow Miss Fonda is doing this very subtle movement that's making the horse click these letters. But I'm thinking, look at the dang typewriter. Like, <laughs> does this make any sense to anyone else? How is that, that happening? It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I think of stuff very simplistically and it would have to be believable enough to get over 100,000 people to go yeah, see a horse in a shed. Yeah. I mean, a dollar was a big deal back then. So that'd be like, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, we're going to go see the horse in the shed. You know, yeah. if it wasn't at least believable, that many people wouldn't be going. I mean, that's right. kind of shady. Why else 
nobody else would be going to a shed in a field. I mean, right. unless you're me on the weekend. <laughs> well, in the unmasked episode, I have found a couple instances where Miss Fonda was not in the room Ooh. and they asked the horse some questions. So I will go over what happened when Miss Fonda was not in the room. She touched me. Oh, <laughs> she touched me. So we will figure out if that had anything to do with how the horse responded. Please don't let her back in the room. <laughs> she does things to me. But before we end this episode, Josh, we had a couple. I know that you already read a negative review. There's only a few, but yeah. I see you. I'll see we're watching you <laughs> but we did get two really good reviews that we wanted to mention some five star reviews wow. yeah one of them was from aaron vg and aaron's review was titled i heart jesus <laughs> and aaron says these two are the best and i'm completely entertained by their stories banter and i feel a little bit happier and smarter listening to this podcast. Whoa, bless their heart. Right. P.S. Love the collaborations. Oh, great. Yeah. Snaps for us. We got a five star. <laughs> and then our second five star review comes from P2 Bears, which I recognize the name because I think that P2 Bears listens to our other shows because I always notice that they have left us other reviews. That's a name that sticks out. P2 Bears. Yes. So P2 Bears titled their five-star review as these two together, all the crazy. And then they also put like really cool emojis, like a bunch of them. My favorite. And then they said, I love their separate podcasts, but when the boys are together, it becomes more than the sum of its parts. I literally hate chat and banter in most other podcasts, but I am helpless to do anything but I love it when these two brothers start chatting. The story he told about not recognizing Jared from Subway at the movie theater had me laughing so hard <laughs> I nearly fell out of the bed. I want them to come to my house and hang out. Well, if you're near. <laughs> right. Just get the coffee going. We'll be <laughs> at the coffee shop. I will say, Josh, more recently, I was at one of the French Lake resorts here in southern Indiana. And speaking of Jared, I remember going there when we were a bit younger and they had a picture of Jared because he was one of the famous people. They have like a wall at the French Lake Resort of all the famous people who have been there. Yeah. And Jared was one of the famous people that I remember seeing at the time of, oh, you know, Jared from Subway has stayed here before. He eats sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And so I went up to that wall to see all the famous people up on the wall. And I noticed that they took his picture down. Mm -hmm. Well, at least they did that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wonder now my question is how long after did they? (laughs) Right. At what point did they take his picture down? Did they do it willingly or did someone complain? I almost went up and asked like someone in charge. I was like, oh. Last time I was here, Jared was up there. (laughs) Yeah. What happened to that? He yeah. ate sandwiches and lost weight. He's a celebrity. <laughs> right. God. Jared, for eating sandwiches, horses, for typewriting. Mm. I swear, we'll make anything a celebrity. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for following along. We're going to start the Unmasked episode soon. Join us on Patreon if you'd like a little behind yeah. the mask. Patreon or Apple Podcast Premium will be there too. Or call 555 easy for <laughs> me after dark. 
That's Josh's cell phone number. I'll talk real slow <laughs> and sumptuous. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.